0: Line, I've probably heard me say it before, but one of my preaching professors, it's one of the things that he said that stuck with me for years. And he said, if you he said, you never, if you preach from your weakness, you never run out of material. <laughs> and today um, I'm gonna preach from my weakness a little bit. We're talking about this of them um, and saying, okay, where are we on this? Where you know am I as I begin this new year and this new season? And what does it look like for me in my life in these different capacities? And so today we're gonna talk about our attitudes. Amen. Right? We're going to talk about our attitudes in this sense of like how much it shapes in this perspective that we have. But I think it's important as we talk about it, that we don't talk about it from this perspective of behavior modification, right? This sense where we're just like, we're going to leave here smiling no matter how annoyed we are, right? Like it's not just like this willpower thing where you just got to try a little bit harder, but it's actually this purely gospel centric thing. Because when we understand and when we can create a perspective in our lives where we look at the grace that God has given us, it changes our heart and frees us to give that grace to others. And what changes our attitudes more than anything else is worship and being able to fix our eyes on Jesus and the reality that God would save a sinner just like me with all of my mistakes, with all my junk, with all of my garbage, that God would show that grace to me. And when I understand that, when I receive that, and when I begin to live in light of that, it changes my attitude in every action, interaction, and reaction that I have. And so to start off this morning, um, one of the things that I think disrupts our attitude more than anything is our sense of entitlement. And what we begin to see is the larger the sense of entitlement, the smaller our sense of gratitude. And we see this play itself out in lots of different ways in our culture, right? But one way that we see it play out on the extremes often is like the real ridiculous lawsuits, right? You've seen those, right? Like the McDonald's, that I should be given something when it didn't go my way. And there's other ones, right? The San Francisco Giants once were sued for passing Father's Day gifts out to the dads only, (laughs) right? Right? There's another time a professor at a university um, sued the university because of the presence of mistletoe at a Christmas party, and he filed a suit for sexual harassment. There's a sense of entitlement like around all of it, right? That everything should just feel, look, and be built so that I'll be happy in those moments. One time there was a psychic who was awarded almost a million dollars when a doctor's cat scan impaired her psychic abilities. (laughs) And you'd kind of think if she was a really good psychic, she wouldn't have went into the doctor right? But we look at these things and at the root of them, right, is this sense of entitlement. Like I was owed something in that moment and, you know, everything didn't go the way I wanted it to. And so because things didn't go the way I wanted them to, now I get to push back and say, you owe me something because life didn't go the way that I wanted it to. And so as we talk about this, right, this idea of attitude, you've probably heard it said that life is 10% of what happens and 90% of how we respond to it. Our attitudes impact so much about who we are and how we live. And if you lead a family, if you lead, you know, if you're in a marriage, if you're in an office place, if you're in a school in a classroom, your attitude sets the tone for that environment in such a big way. I can remember back to sixth grade math class, and my teacher he referred to himself as the warden, and to our desks as our cells. You can imagine how that went, right? Like the attitude of that sets the tone to preach like you feel that. If I'm like, hey, we need to pay off our debt so that we can have all kinds of opportunities before us. That's going to be awesome. That's one thing. And if I'm like, we should probably, you know, just get this cleaned up. We've got a few months. Think we can do it. So come on if you want. Right? Like it's different. Our attitude shapes the way that we act, interact, and react to the things around us. And I think a lot of our bad ideas, our bad attitudes are rooted in this one idea that we are owed something. This sense of entitlement. And we start to live with this false narrative that says that I should get what I want, when I want it, from who I want it, and it should cost me as much as I think it should cost, and it should take as long as I assume it should take. And anything that breaks with that is going to lead to this disruption of my spirit that's going to cause me to let you have it. And so today, it's all about editing our attitudes to get them right. And hear me on this, this is not an, uh, much about judgment as it is about opportunity. Because this is a place where we as the church, we as followers of Jesus, can set ourselves apart like no other. We live in a world where online review sites bash everybody and every waiter that made a mistake. Facebook comment sections where we demean and dehumanize. Parents attacking refs at sports, kids' sporting fields, and just this all-around declining of civility, Right? And so for us as followers of Jesus to be able to live in light of the grace that we have received that shapes our attitudes in the way that we act, interact, and react with the people in the world around us allows us to model hope in something greater than the chaos we live in. It allows us to model and show peace in the midst of the hill that Jesus calls us to be. There's this evangelical pastor, Christian pastor, radio teacher, and author named Charles Swindoll, and he has this great quote about attitude, and you'll see it up here on the screen. It says attitude is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. Your attitude is more important than your appearance, your giftedness or your skill. Your attitude will make or break a Fortune 500 company or a mega and minor church. Your attitude will break up a home and a marriage then he keeps going and he reminds us of this remarkable thing is that we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we'll embrace for that day. We can't change our past. We can't change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. And each of us is the author and completer of our attitudes. And so our scripture this morning is from Philippians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you don't have to turn there, go ahead and do that now. But it starts off with these quick 10 words in Philippians chapter 5, verse 5. And it says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. (laughs) That's pretty high calling, isn't it? We should have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And so as we get ready to edit our lives and say, is our, you know, attitudes the same as that of Christ Jesus? I want to invite you into a little bit of grading real quick. All right. You know, going back to my warden in sixth grade math class. All right. Quick report card on our attitude. And I'm going to talk about just some big kind of big umbrella areas and just give yourself a quick grade on how you feel like your attitude is right now around your work. What grade would you give? What about your spouse? What grade would you give on your attitude towards them? What about your attitude towards Jesus? What about your attitude towards your church? What about your attitude towards your kids, your boss? your friends. And if you got straight A's, you can leave early. (laughs) But if you don't, if we just take the next few minutes and say, God, just show us where, where there's that disruption in our spirit, where our attitude's not what it needs to be. And can we do the things that we need to do and fix our eyes on the things we need to fix our eyes on? So, that we can not have an attitude adjustment, but that we can have a heart transformation. And it's not just behavior modification where we grin and smile, but we allow ourselves to see that God, the grace that God has shown us in those areas that we find such fault with others, and allow us through that transformation of our hearts to show that same grace to them that God has shown to us. And so, it's not a willpower issue, it's a gospel issue. It's not just behavior modification. It's heart transformation. And when we get it right, our attitude moves from what is owed to us to what we have been given through Jesus. And when our attitude is rooted not in what is owed to us, but what has been given to us, he was owed, but of what he could give. And so in Philippians chapter two, verse five, it says we need to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. But then in verses six through eight, he shifts gears. And in that passage, it says this about Jesus in his attitude it says you should have the same attitude as Jesus who being in the very nature god did not consider equality with god something to be used to his own advantage i just feel that right like we just we we like when i'm at my worst with my attitude i walk in i'm like you know how much i paid to eat here can't you get it out on time Don't you know who like our family is? Don't you know this? Don't you know that? Don't all these things like this sense of entitlement that just wants to well up in us because we have this heart that says we're owed these things instead of this heart that says God has given us so many things that we can find peace in this situation in this moment. Jesus had every card he could have ever wanted to play. He's like, I'm God. Yet he doesn't play that card. He said he didn't use it as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I mean, hear that. And so often we get so caught up on all the things that we are owed that should be used to our own advantage. And when they don't play out the way that we want them to, it doesn't just make us a little frustrated. It like disrupts our spirit. And pride starts to take over. Greed starts to take over. Selfishness starts to take over. But yet Jesus laid all that down. There's this great story of this woman. She became the first CEO of this major global corporation. And she'd had this big thing at work, got the news. Everything was wonderful. She was so fired up. And the way she tells the story is that she went home that night, and um, her mother was still living at her house with them and was helping take care of the family and all that kind of stuff. So she gets home. they got a bunch of kids. Her mom's at the table. Her husband's at the table, and they're all sitting there. And she's just beaming. And she's like, I mean, think about it. Like, I'm the first female CEO at this huge company. And her mom lets her have a few minutes. And she says, okay, great. She said, you had your minutes. She said, but from now on, when you walk into the dinner table, why don't you leave your crown in the garage? And she said, because in this place, you're these things. And I thought, man, isn't that such a good word for all of us? Like to just leave our crowns in the car when we walk into the restaurant, to leave our crowns in the car when we walk into work, to leave our crowns in all of those places when we walk into all of those other places, not as people who are owed everything because of who we are, But with that same attitude as Christ Jesus, where we set those things down and it wasn't about what I can be given issue. It is a gospel heart transformation issue. And when we see the goodness that God has given us, it sets us free to do the things that God has called us to do. And what happens and what we see with Jesus, if we go back to my warden math teacher, right, is I got a little bit of math in me and I know that one plus one equals two. And when I look at that, right, when we think about that formula, this sense of one plus one equals two, these are the things I know. And I know that if I do this thing and you do this thing, it's going to equal this thing and then my life's going to be good. But what Jesus does and what I think we can get our heads around is this sense that there's me and it's one. And if we say one plus the ability and the ways and the means of God equals infinite possibilities. And when we can humble ourselves from saying every action, interaction and reaction needs to be what I want, but that we can pause and humble ourselves in those moments to say, I don't just want one plus one equals two. I want one plus God equals infinite possibilities. And I want to humble myself and open myself up to the opportunity into the situation where think about it like this. right? And this is that upside down kingdom of God kind of mindset. That what if the disruptions and what if the difficult things and what if those opportunities that create all the tension and all the stress are really the places where we find growth? They're really the places where we find movement and they're really the places where we find opportunity to serve and love one another more than when everything's going the way we want it to. And you see what starts to shape our attitude is to see those disruptions not are opened up before me to live out this way of Jesus. And so when it's one plus one, it's two, but when it's one plus God, we get unlimited potential. And what we see at the end of this Philippians passage is it says, therefore, after Jesus lives like this, it says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Jesus submits to the will of the Father, lays it all down that is owed him is obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then God plus one equals the transformation of the world. And we see this movement that begins and sometimes we experience it as instantaneous change, right? You've been through those moments, right? You've seen people maybe struggling with addiction opportunities and God just, boom, everything's different in that moment. But sometimes it's like losing weight. It's a slow process that is always slower than we want it to be. And it's this continual obedience, this long obedience in the same direction, moving towards it, what God would have for us. And so I have a couple quick um, principles that um, have been things that have guided me for a long time whenever I have to do quick attitude checks. And they're just some quick principles that like give me some, you know, kind of quick bullet points that I'm like, okay, I got to go back to these things over and over and over again. And they really help me to keep my attitude in check. First one is this, don't criticize what we don't understand. Just don't criticize. We can say we don't understand. And could we just back up until we could get some other perspective and not just simply react, but to be able to pause and to respond in light of who God is and who we are. And we think about what is it like to be that other person? What is the situation that led to all this frustration? Steve Martin, he has a great line, the comedian guy. He says, before you criticize another person, walk a mile in their shoes. He says, that way, when you do criticize them, you'll be a mile away and you'll have their shoes. <laughs> But there's this sense, right, that like we don't want to just walk around with judgment. We want to walk around and try to understand and to say, what is it like to put ourselves in their perspective, in their situation? Because odds are, if we had lived the life they lived and were forced with the decisions that they were made to force, we probably wouldn't be in a whole lot different of a place than they are more often than not. And it's so easy to find fault in situations, but it's so often harder to actually do better. And James gives us this formula in James chapter 1 to help us keep our attitudes in check. And he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so that we can be slow to speak. We don't just react, but we respond by seeking to figure out what it is, and we don't criticize what we don't understand, but we actually seek to understand before we criticize. And then sometimes there does come a place where we gotta fix things, right? And so I wanna give you a really hands-on opportunity to practice happen. I can just see it now. Inevitably, Tom Brady's gonna get a terrible call, right? It's gonna go his way, and everybody watching is gonna be like, that's a total ripoff. Those refs are bad, right? Okay, and there's gonna come this bad call, and as you're watching the game tonight, all right, you're gonna have this temptation when it happens when the bad call comes, that you're just gonna jump up and say, what an idiot, how did they not see that? This is crazy, and we're gonna take this posture that this ref who's been training for his whole life, that's been doing this for years upon years upon years, who's been trained and selected by the NFL to be like the NFL Super Bowl ref, trained expert doing this his whole life, we watch a game a month, and we're just gonna, in that moment, be like, no, I'm right, he has no clue. Right? And when we stand up to yell and to just take that kind of posture, then we just pause for a minute and to just test yourself and let this be a little bit of discipleship during the game tonight, okay? And when you're tempted to just rage about it, just be like, oh, no, I bet there's just a guy in his way and he didn't see the call. They're going to look at the replay. They'll get it right. Give me some nachos. (laughs) And to just keep living. And to just let it be just a little bit of practice of just pausing before we speak. And jumping to conclusions and criticizing things that we don't fully understand why the decision was made just yet. So try that tonight, all right? It'll be a lot of fun. Number two, be nice. Right? Just be nice. We look at Ephesians chapter 4, 32. It says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Now, it's a short verse, but it's packed with a lot here because it doesn't say, be kind to one another, tender hearted. That's just like, we well, got to smile because the preacher said to, and so we're going to be nice Christian people and we're just going to be happy, and even though we're not. Right? That's if there's a period there. But it says, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Then it's a gospel heart transformation issue. And see, it isn't just about willpower. It's about fixing our eyes on Jesus, seeing the grace that was given to a sinner like me and all of my brokenness, all my junk, all my garbage, all of that stuff that yet God's mercies are still new for me every single day. And so when I live in light of that, I'm pretty kind. I'm pretty tenderhearted and I'm pretty forgiving to one another. But when it's entitlement, it changes everything. And so we get to learn about what it is to just simply be kind. And I got such a great example of this last week in church, okay? So it was our 930 service. A lot of you were probably in here, right? And we had the Thomas family. They're up here getting baptized in Jack and Charlotte. And it was great and wonderful. And they got such sweet, beautiful kids. And so we're baptizing them. And one of the best parts of the baptism to me is that the congregation always responds back to the family. Family says that we're going to do these things in the church with our children. And then the church says back and they have this thing that we read. And it's like, you're not alone in that. And we're going to be alongside of you in this. And so we're all reading it. It's a beautiful moment, all this kind of stuff. And we get up to the slide and um, it's got the wrong name for the kids on it. It said Lucas, right, who we baptized a little while back. It didn't say Jack and Charlotte. And so we're all kind of like stumbling over ourselves in the room, and I'm sitting there like, Lucas, not even their kids, right? And like it's all just bad. And so the service gets over, and Michael comes down, and he was sweating too, and he's like, dude, I'm so sorry. He's like, I just totally missed that slide. That is my bad. And we're both like kind of sweating, crying, anxious that they're about to leave the church, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And so we walk up to him real humbly, and we start to apologize. And they're like, it's fine. Like, it's okay. Like mistakes happen. And that was like the whole thing in their world, right? And, he, and we look at that and it's just like, just be nice. And we look at this thing, where we're like, we've been, we've been given so much grace. So because we've been given so much grace, we can give that grace back. And if you think I threw Michael under the bus there, hold on, I'm not done with the story, okay? <laughs> so we go into the 11 o'clock service and we have a great service, everything's good. I get done preaching, thinking that was all right. We had a good service, everything's good. About to wrap up the day and we say amen, give the benediction and send everybody out. And Michael comes up to me and he says, That one's on you, man. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, those people were supposed to join the church at the end of the 11 o'clock service and they're walking out the door over there right now. And I was like, oh my gosh. And so like I chase them out into the parking lot and I'm like, I'm so sorry. We totally missed this. And we're, you know, on and on and totally, you know, just pouring our hearts out. And she turns around and I I just kept saying so many times and finally she just puts her hands up and says, Brad, it's okay. (laughs) It's fine. I was like, oh God, thank you for nice people, right? Because we can have this heart of peace, where when mistakes happen, it's okay, we'll fix them. Or we're going to have this heart of war where every time there's a mistake, there's this entitlement mentality and something was owed to me. And how dare you make a mistake on my baptism and now you just forget us. Like we, it's, it's a pick. And I thank God for a church that has grace. <laughs> and so they're going to still join the church, don't worry. <laughs> but as we look at that, right, it, it seems so, so easy, but yet it's so hard to live in life. And the last one is this, that we would master self-control. People with self-control, they learn to master their moods and they don't let their moods master them. Most of what gets done in the world is accomplished by people who do the right things even when they don't feel like it. And so there's this proverb from Proverbs 25, 28, and it says, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. You see what happens is those walls are protection and they keep the bad out and only let the good in. You see, with self-control, when we just put our guard down and those walls are broken in our lives and are broken around our spirit and we have no real sense of what God has done for us and we have this huge sense of entitlement, what starts to happen is the, the bigger our entitlement gets, the smaller our walls get. And everything that seems to come at us, we begin to find this spirit of offense in. And every comment gets taken as if it's directed right at me. Every mistake in a name on a slide or forgetting the end of the service becomes this thing because our walls are broken down and everything is an attack on me who is owed everything. But what does it look like to build those walls up so that we have default attitudes of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, of gentleness, of all of the fruit of the Spirit that we promised? We can't help if the food's late. We can't help what the people on the news say. We can't help whatever it is that's breaking through your walls. But we can seek a self controlled attitude that reflects the way of Jesus. And it's not behavior modification, it's heart transformation. And when we understand the grace that we've been given through the cross, when we understand our sinfulness, and yet God still shows up, giving us grace, giving us opportunity, and uses us to make a difference in this world, it changes our attitudes. And so I want a self-controlled attitude that reflects that Jesus, and I believe that God is working, that God's in control. And I want an attitude that believes and operates as if God is with, for, and in me. And this is where our understanding of the gospel matters so deeply. We've been set free. We don't deserve that grace, but yet everything flows out of that reality. And so we have one life. We're gonna spend it with a bitter heart at war. We going to invest it, opening ourselves up to the way of Jesus and making the world a better place. Now, a few years ago, after um, one of the Olympic Games, these psychologists did this study on these athletes who won medals. Okay, they're like the people who won gold, they kind of did their thing. But then you got the silver, second place, and you got the bronze, third place medalist. And what the assumption was in this study, and they proved it to be true, is that the people who got silver were actually less happy about their medal than the people who got bronze. And what they found is the people who got silver were fixated on the fact that that they even got to be on the podium at all, that it brought such joy. And so as we take communion this morning, and as we reflect on our attitudes, not just as behavior modification, but as heart transformation, that as we take these elements into our bodies, that we would take them as bronze medalists who are so thankful to be on the podium that are so thankful to have a relationship with a God who's for within us that are so thankful that we get to be a part of a relationship with a God who, in spite of all of my sin and all of my brokenness, in spite of all of my junk, hurts, habits, hangups, all those issues, that grace is still new for me every single moment. And so when we get that, we find ourselves living with grateful hearts and we find ourselves living with grateful hearts when mistakes happen. The walls aren't broken down, but we have walls of grace built up around our heart so that we can respond with the goodness of God in every circumstance and situation. And when we get further enough along the way of discipleship and becoming more and more in who Jesus wants us to be, what starts to happen is those disruptions and those things that used to be junk and used to cause us to act in a bad way and used to cause us to react with all of our entitlement. We start to look at those things and say, man, this is a huge opportunity to live out peace. This is a huge opportunity for us to show grace. And those disruptions get completely flipped upside down in the kingdom of God and move from inconveniences to actual opportunities to live out the faith that God has for us. So I hope your lunch is real game tonight. And then when those things come, that they can be these opportunities for our heart to be made right. And then we can view those moments as God shaping, conforming, and molding us more and more into his image, into the people that we want to be. And we set the entitlement down and we grab hold of the grace of the gospel of Jesus. So we're going to take communion together. And um, I don't want you to take the elements just yet. You can have them when Michael comes up to sing. The band's going to come up. Once they start the song, you can just take them together when we take those. But I wanted to pray over them before we get started. And it was on the night of the last supper, Jesus took the disciples up into the upper room and it was there they broke bread together. Jesus stood up before him, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. He said, take this and eat in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup and he lifted it up and he said, this is my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take this and drink in remembrance of me. So God, we pray now that your Holy Spirit would make these elements be for us the body and blood of Christ so that we may be for the world the body and blood of Christ. May we go forth and be your people in this place, in this time with grateful, thankful hearts that we get to be on the podium at all. May we take these elements with grateful and thankful hearts for the grace upon grace that you have shown us. And God, may we go forth empowered by your Spirit to give that same grace that we have received. But God, may we fix our eyes on you and may we find such joy and gratitude and thanksgiving in the grace that you have given us that we can't help but give it to others. So change our hearts, change our attitudes, and we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. You have been listening to Sermon Audio from Good News Church in Santa Rosa Beach, Florida. We have Sunday services at 8, 15, 9, 30, and 11. If you're interested in finding more information on our church or ways to get further involved, visit goodnewschurch.life. Thank you for listening. We hope to see you soon.